0: Radio Bio is adhering to COVID-19 shelter-in-place orders, and we are committed to producing fun and educational podcasts for your enjoyment. Please excuse the difference in the audio quality of our post-production while we use
1: online tools to safely work from home. We appreciate you tuning in. Bats are vital for maintaining balance in the ecosystems they are a part of. Bats keep insect populations in check, pollinate flowers, and disperse seeds. Bats are also an incredibly diverse group of species that come in all shapes and sizes. Did you know that if you randomly picked a mammal, you would have a one in five chance of picking a bat? Today, we have Dr. Alexis Cedir with us to talk about what studying bats can teach us about evolution. Don't know much biology.
0: Hello and welcome to Radio Bio. I'm your host, Leila Wahab. Um, And I'm Sonia Vargas. And today we have with us Dr. Alexa Sadir, a postdoctoral researcher from the University of California, Los Angeles. Welcome. Hi. So to just start out, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your research?
2: Yeah, sure. So I work on bats in general, and I use bats as a model system to study the evolution of species in general. So it's really the idea is I'm using bats because they are so diverse and we have so many species. and, and I'm sure you you will want to go into that uh, into more detail about that a little bit later. But we have so many different species that live in so many different places that eat so many different things that we can use them as a proxy to understand the evolution of species in general, like how they adapt to where they live, how they adapt to where they eat, uh, how they adapt to new you know places over time. So this is really the aim of the research, using the fantastic bats also because we love them, but to understand widely, wide question about evolution.
3: So when you study bats, what does it look like when you're doing field work or when you're doing experiments, you know?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, as you say first, uh, when we want to study bats, we have to go where they live because um, of course, if we want to study uh, some species that live in so many different places, we need to understand, how these places are, where it is and everything. So we go where the bats are, which is basically everywhere in the world (laughs) except in the polar region. But since we are focusing on diversity, we really want to go where um, the the biodiversity is, where we have the the highest diversity of bats, what we can find. Meaning that we go to the tropic, uh, which of course, as you can imagine, it's something we just love.
1: More than two thirds of the species diversity of our planet resides in the tropics. Bats are no exception. While bats can be found in virtually all habitats aside from polar ecosystems, the number of species and the diversity in diet and morphology found in the tropics is unparalleled.
2: So we are really spread out all over uh, the tropical region. And sometimes we also study some bats in the US, but um, given our research question, we are more focusing on the tropical ones. And so in the field, basically, um, it's, you know, working in the field is not just like working in a lab. You have to plan so many things in advance. So for example, we have to plan for the permits. We also need to work with the countries we work in because of course, we don't want to go take the bats and go out, we really want to work with them. So we establish collaboration with people, we establish uh, collaboration with the government to be sure we are allowed to take the bats and, and then, you know, leave with the samples. We are also working with conservation, because we are not doing any, um, well, some of us are doing a bit of conservation work, but the primary uh, reason is understanding evolution. So we are working closely with conservation people to be sure that if we work on the bats, if we have to kill animals, stuff like this, we won't harm anything, you know, any population, any communities, and anything. So all that being said, and then of course plan for the plane ticket, the field stuff, everything, when everything is done, which is month of you know, preparation before, then we can go. And then it, it can be working in remote places. So sometimes we camp in the forest, um, which is which which I love, but you know, it's it's kind of a logistics. Um we put traps to catch bats, of course. Um and the traps are like, uh, so it depends on where we go. So when we go to the cave to study the species that live in the cave, we have what we call the harp trap. So you can imagine a huge, uh, you know, the instrument, the harp, you know, you have these strings yeah. in like uh, vertical and etc. So we have a, a trap that is like this. The bats just fly in, get tangled in the, in the strings, and then fall into a pocket. It's completely harmless for them. And then we can just grab them in a in the pocket, and then see if uh, you know they are interested interesting to us or not. We also have in the forest, especially um, like big net big nets that are called mist nets. If uh, you are birders, you sh- I think you know what a mist net is. This is basically like a volleyball net, except that it's from the floor to I don't know up to six feet tall. And so we put that in the middle of the trees in the forest and when the bats flies in they get tangled and then we have to entangle them etc they don't like that. Uh, And and then we can choose to keep them or release them we release like 95% of what we catch so it's really like this. And also we are using butterfly nets to catch them. Uh, for example, if we go in abandoned houses in Trinidad, we have tons of bats in, in houses and stuff. And so this is really what you can imagine of catching a butterfly. They are flying around and we're like really, you know, doing big moves to catch them. And, and this is how this is a typical day in the field. We go to the field at 5 p.m., we set up the traps. And then we are up until in the field until two in the morning. Then we go uh, back to a hotel or room, whatever we find, or the tent. We process the sample until five in the morning. Sometimes we sleep four hours, and we go back again. So it's 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 really really tiring, um, but it it's really fun. I was just going to say that
0: sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah,
2: It's it can be like you know. I think one day, I think it was my first field work, something like this, you know, the first time you're like, oh my God, like it's so many things at the same time. And then I think the third day I was like, I'm like Indiana Jones, like in the middle of the forest (laughs) catching bats. this is my job, I'm paid to do that. And I paid to understand the evolution of these species. And it's so amazing. It's, it's just, uh, I mean, it, after a week or two, we are so tired, like everyone is like, cause you, you know, we work also, I mean, it's really cool, but we work 24 seven. So it's also tough, but it's such, it's so incredible.
0: So why are bats um, so interesting to study evolutionarily? Like, why did you choose bats?
2: Yeah, so because uh, so first I did my PhD on I was trying to understand how species evolve uh, by looking at what happened during their development. So basically, you have the genome of a species so the gene that constitute a species. And then you have how the species look like, the phenotype. And the thing is, we don't have a direct link between the genes and the phenotype. If we modify the gene, sometimes we don't see anything on the phenotype or on the other way, we can modify something in the gene and we will have a big outcome. But there is this thing in the middle that is called development embryology. You know, what happened when uh, the species develop, when the species get the shape. And this is, uh, we know a lot of things about that, but there are some things we don't understand. And we do think that understanding how these mechanisms evolve during development, what happened during development uh, is really what help us to understand how species evolve. Because if we, if we understand how we change everything that is happening during development. We will be able to understand how we get a shape A or a shape B or a shape C, something like this. It's like you know having a, a a recipe. You have the ingredient. You want to make a cake. You have the ingredient, and you have the cake at the end. But with the same ingredient, you can get a lot of different cake depending of how you cook. You know how if you put that in the fridge, if you if you cook for a long time, everything. The development it is that is the cooking. And so we try to understand that.
1: Studying the development of embryos can tell us a lot about the evolution of that organism. For instance, did you know mammal embryos, even humans, have gill arches for a brief time before they turn into our jaw and voice box? That's because the shared ancestor of all terrestrial animals was aquatic and had gills. By studying when in development certain traits arise or fade and what causes those changes, we can learn about the evolutionary history of those traits. And so I was working
2: on mice during my PhD, just to you know do modification on mice to get different shapes. But I was like, it's interesting, I can understand things, but um, I'm not working on actual variation. So then I wanted to switch to bats and to species that are so diverse. Which bats are? You have like 1,426 species of bats in the world ver- right now, which is a fifth of mammals meaning that if you pick one mammal randomly, uh, it has one chance over five to be a bat. So I was like, they are so diverse. We have so many different species that if I want to study variation, if I want to study how you change the recipe between species to get different species, bats would be the perfect uh, animal for that. So that's how I came to to bats. And then on bats, um, I have been studying the evolution of color vision, uh, and we also work on the evolution of echolocation. Uh, so the, how they produce echo to catch some insects, for example, or to navigate in the dark. And uh, I'm also working on the evolution of um, teeth, because they have also a lot of different, uh, they have they eat different things. Some of them is fruit, nectar, pollen, uh, insects, fish, uh, you know, a lot of different things depending on the species. And so they have teeth adapted to that so I'm also studying that.
0: Bat teeth, that's not something you think about every day.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, you kind of
3: delved a little bit into what this variation can look like, but can we talk a little bit more? Because I think I grew up thinking that there was one kind of bat, bat, and it was like the vampire bat, and it was dangerous, but I think it's maybe good to delve into, you talk about there's so much variation in bats, so can you Get a little bit more into like what this variation looks like, and maybe what make is this special to bats, and why are they so different?
2: Yeah, sure. So we think that um, so bats are the only mammals kept up cap- capable of true flight. Um, You know, so we think that when they uh, started to fly, we actually don't really know uh, exactly how it happened. We know that the first bats uh, had wings, and we think that because they gained flight, they were able to colonize a lot of places, ecological niches, that were not necessarily taken by birds or etc. because they fly at night and so we think that by reaching these places they just uh, adapted to these uh, different niches which is called an adaptive radiation meaning that you have a species you arrive in a new place and then you adapt this
1: new place basically the most popular example of adaptive radiations is darwin's finches from the galapagos islands when a population of finches initially arrived on the island there were many open niches as populations of these finches started feeding on distinct foods they all specialized in their own ways. Adaptive radiation leads to rapid development of distinct species with different morphological specializations. Something very similar happened to bats in the neotropics when they started eating different kinds of fruits.
2: And so uh, we think this is why they are so diverse because they just took a lot of different places that were kind of vacant. And so because of this, they were able to adapt to that. And since uh, they have, they are almost everywhere, they are adapted to all these different places and also adapted to the different diet that they were able to found there. And so it was really quick. Like, I think uh, the first bat, well, it's debated, but we have stuff like, uh, we think uh, it diverged from the ancestor like 60 million years ago, which is not that long for, you know, um, an evolutionary point of view. And we were, we do think the only explanation right now is because they have colonized these different uh, places. And in terms of diversity, um, oh. I think if people want to have an idea about how they look like, uh, Marilyn's um website is really cool. You have a lot of picture. The Bat Conservation International website also have a lot of pictures. Some of them look like a, a little puppy, like the fruit bats in Africa really look like a flying you know, little dog. Some of them look like a little pig. Uh, the puppy I was talking about, they, they have like very, very big eyes, but you have other insect bats in the tropic. They have eyes so small that you can barely see them that are embedded in the ears. Uh, we can also speak about the ears. Some of them, they have teeny tiny ears like a little fox, but others will have ears so big that you can't even like, they're just super big pointy or roundish. You have bats that are white, bats are that are orange, uh bat that are, you know, brownish stuff like this. You have bats with a super huge nose, like a lot of the tropi- neotropical bats have this structure that what is called the um, uh, nose leaf because it, it looks like a, a leaf, you know, a tree, like a, a plant and it's big and it's in the nose. And we think it's because of echolocation and we have huge variation in the size of that. And you have bats that just don't have that. You have small bats, you have bats that are really, really big with a wingspan up to, I should, I, I don't work on this one, so I, I should check that twice, but like maybe 1.5 meters, something like this. So they are huge. They're really, really big. And other bats are like so tiny that the bumblebee bat is the smallest mammal and it, it can be on your fingertip. So we have this huge variation in size as well. So when, when we talk about diversity here, this is really diversity, <laughs> like, to a very, very, um, like, to, it's, they are one of the most diverse uh, morphologically uh, and ecologically group.
0: Yeah, like, something that I've heard of bats, like, I don't know a whole lot about bats, but something that I've heard is that they eat, at least, like, locally, bats eat tons of insects, and they help control its yes. populations, and I always think that, it's interesting because I feel like bats get a bad rap. A lot of people are scared of bats. A lot of people. <laughs> yes.
2: We are close to Halloween, right? Like a lot yeah. of, you know, it's like the, the, the bad, like uh, they have a bad reputation for sure. Also, I think because they fly at night.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: as you say, they are, they are super useful. Like, um, yeah, they eat tons of insects. Like they are really a key um, balance in the ecosystems. What does that mean? It means that, uh, yes, as you said, um, they can eat up to thousands of insects per night, one bat, so it's like a lot. Um, meaning that if you put a bat house, this is also something you can find on the Bat Conservation International. In your house, you will attract bats to your backyard. And then if you want to be you know, in the summer, uh, eating outside, drinking wine, I don't know, uh, bats will be you know, flying around eating the mosquitoes. So they would be better than DEET or anything else like that um so they eat tons of insects uh like this uh they can also it can also be useful for you know crops and stuff more and more people you know for organic uh food and stuff like this you have a lot of um, you know food maker or whatever they want to attract bats to the culture to the corn to whatever because they they're gonna eat the insects without damaging the crops and so it can be cool and they, Layla say like uh, that people also think that most bats are vampires, and I think this is also why people are so afraid of bats because this is the idea. But um, on the fourteen hundred twenty six um, species of bats that we have in the world, only three of them are vampires. I mean, extant species. So. Actually, it's just a small little fraction of all bats that are vampires. Um, yeah, it's another mixed conception that we have, and on the vampire, most of them feed on cows, chicken, or you know wild animals. They don't necessarily feed on people. so yeah, I mean, most of the bats eat insects, they eat a lot. others are fruit bats, uh, pollen bats, fish bats, omnivorous bats, and only three of them on all of them eat uh, blood. <laughs> It, it seems like bats are your model organism
3: because they just have this incredible uh, diversity. And and so your big questions have to do with evolution. So yes. what can studying um, this diversity and the evolution of bats tell us about evolution in general?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. So I can tell you about a study uh, that we published last year, which exactly show that. So we were interested in, uh, we were wondering uh, what bat can see like because people think, you know, because they fly at night, because they fly in the dark, because they have echolocation, so this ability to, you know, find their way uh, with sound. A lot of people thought that bats are blind. And I think we say blind as a bat, right? (laughs) This is totally wrong. Um, They see very well. And so we were wondering um, how vision evolved, like do all the bats are able to see different things, uh, et cetera. And so to do that, we uh, focused on the eye and the photoreceptors that the bats have. So to be able to see like like every other mammals and many other animals as well, I won't go into detail on that, but let's say all the mammals, we have two types of photoreceptors in the eyes to be able to see the world around us. We have the roads, that are responsible for the vision at night. And we have one type, meaning that we see kind of black and white at night, you know, because we have one type of road. And we have for daylight vision or, you know, dusk down when the light is kind of low, we have cones. And we have three types of cone, a green, a red, and a blue that uh, allow us to see all the colors that we're able to see if we have a normal vision. Uh, if you want an analogy think about when you try to modify your picture on a computer you always play with the green red green and blue channel and you can get all the color with that it's the same thing for us we have that and for the bats we realize that they have two types of uh, daylight vision they have a uv uh, instead of a blue which is interesting like like many other nocturnal mammals but still it's something we don't have and they have a green one and we've seen that the ancestor of all bats have these uh, UV and green cone. But then it was not clear if it was maintained in all bats. Uh, some species seem to have like lost the UV vision, but it was not really sure. And we, we didn't know to what extent, like what they can really see, et cetera, depending of where they live, uh, where they uh, what they eat, et cetera. So we did a, a study um, we studied like 55 uh, different species of bat representative to the diversity in terms of environment, uh, diet, et cetera, just to see if they have two types of cone or one, or, and, and then we also look at the detail of uh, how many cones they have on the retina. Like, do they have a high density of cone or not? Uh, just because the density is linked to the, we think to it's not a perfect analogy, but let's say to the resolution to how much detail they can see. You know it's like the pixel in your camera if you have a lot of pixel it's like a very very good image and if you have less it's not as good we think there is a relation like this i mean it's not exactly like this and so we uh, look at that so we look at the dna the presence absence of the genes behind um you know that are able to sense lights that are the obscene genes that are inside the cones so the uv obscene and the green obscene and we look their presence in the DNA, the RNA, and the protein, uh, so the three levels, in 55 species of bats, and we found that um, some bats have lost UV vision. So um, a lot of bats have a UV and green, so they have a dichromatic vision. They are able to discriminate color in bright light or you know moderate light like at dusk and dawn, when they fly out of the cave or come back. Uh, but some of them just have lost the UV vision. So they can, they have only one pigment, which is interesting because we're like, okay, maybe it's due to an environmental condition. And when we tested for that, we found that if bats eat fruit, for example, or visit plants, they are more likely to retain this uh, two color vision. And we think it might be due uh, to the fruit because you know maybe they can discriminate the fruit better um, uh you know on the, the food better on the on the tree. Um maybe it's because yeah of, of that or or because they need they relay on vision more to find their food and not only on echolocation. Now it's not absolute because we have some insect bats uh who have uh, UV vision as well. So we think we also have other parameters, but our study was not um we didn't have enough species to find that out. And probably it might be um due to where they roost or when they fly out of the cave, we can think that if a species fly out of the cave early when it's five, when you still have a lot of light out, they might, you know, relay on vision more than the one that fly when it's complete darkness. Uh, So this was the results regarding bat vision, which has a number of implications. So the first one is that if we want to protect bats better, Um, it's important to know what they see because, uh, for example, we know that the white light or the green light affects them. So if we want to have a, you know, a CD that is nice for bats at night, it it would be better to have red light, for example, because they won't be affected. So understanding that will help us to understand that. Now in evolution in general, um, it's important because it's another example of a trait loss. Uh, We think that, Species evolve by gaining new things, you know, new abilities. This is not always the case, and by losing traits, it's also a way of evolving because it's going to be too expensive. We can think about the eyes of cave fishes and stuff like that that disappear. So, evolving by losing traits is important. And in our study, we look at the loss at the three levels: the DNA, the RNA, and the protein. And we found interesting stuff because we were looking at so many species, we found some species that have lost everything, DNA, RNA, protein. So we're like, okay, complete loss of the gene. Okay. From the beginning, they have lost, maybe, I don't know if it's for sure or not, for good or not, but they have lost the ability to make them. But some species have lost only the protein and some species retain the gene, but have lost the mRNA and the protein meaning that we are at different stages of losing the thing. And maybe this is a, a big if, maybe, whatever, but they might be able to regain UV vision more easily, you know, if you lose only uh, the protein and the mRNA,
1: et cetera. Maintaining functioning eyes or other senses is expensive. When those traits are no longer offering an advantage for the organism, selection for those traits relaxes and oftentimes those traits fade away studying patterns of what traits are lost instead of gained offers a complementary perspective to the evolution of organisms
2: so by looking at so many species um, and it also showed the importance of looking at many species and not only one we uncover this mechanism of trait loss we don't lose trait like this it's a um, you know ongoing mechanism it takes time we have different steps And maybe depending on where you are in the step, you can regain. So this was the big, big, big picture of that work. Uh, That is, we have a mechanism for trait loss. Trait loss is important. And the more species we study, the more we'll be able to understand how life evolved in general. So it's beyond that. What is your
3: favorite part about your research?
2: I love field work. Uh, I love being in the field. Um, Not only because it's cool to be in the field, but because it's just add another dimension. It's just help us, you know, working on vision, for example. Um, I don't think you really get why bats would have this different vision if you are not there in the field to see what they see. Another part that I love, so on one of my other projects, which is, um, so because my work on teeth go a bit further than that, the idea is to find the rules to explain how you expand the number of teeth and how you uh, modify the shape of an organism. Since we have so many different shapes, we can find rules in the gene network to understand how the gene network is modified to get from uh, one shape to another. And by doing that research, I had these uh, wow moments, you know, when I found a really, really unexpected results. Like we thought it would be something and it was uh, something completely different. And I think, I mean, I think this is the, the vision people have about research, but it's not something that is happening uh, that many times. Like it's pretty rare, but when it happens, it's like, you know, you're in front of the computer looking at the data and you are like, oh my God. And like, when it happened, I called a friend, I was like, okay, maybe I'm completely wrong. What do you see? What do you see? And he was like, oh my God. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's just like these very moments when you find uh, new things, Explore. you're just exploring knowledge and you find something new. And I think this is really, uh, really, it's incredible.
0: I think that's so interesting. Um, so I work with microbes a lot and I feel like that's still like a very like open field. But then when I think of mammals, I'm like, we know a lot about mammals, but then when you're saying like you're discovering, you're making these like huge aha moments with like something that you would think that we would know a lot about like bats. I just think that's amazing.
2: Right. yeah no, know and i think I, I think you are totally true i think people think that we know so much you know even about when i talk about developmental biology people are like well we're able to make a baby you know in a <laughs> in a petri dish now we know everything but no there are so many things i think in biology in science in general the more you know the more you realize what you don't know And I think you know, uh, with all the new techniques that we have, we have access to new levels of knowledge and and, and questions that we never dreamed of before, even in mammals.
1: (laughs) The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. There's always something new to learn, a new stone to turn over. There's still so much to learn about bats and so much bats can teach us about the evolution of diversity on our planet. The thing I think is the most important to take away is that bats are so, so much more than vampires. They are pollinators, dispersers, and key parts of their ecosystems. Knowing about them and protecting them is important for humanity and the planet as a whole.
0: RadioBio is produced by graduate students at the University of California, Merced.
3: Support for RadioBio comes from the Quantitative and Systems Biology Graduate Group, the School of Natural Sciences, the Graduate Division, and the University Friends Circle at UC Merced. You can help support Radio Bio's mission of increasing scientific literacy in California's Central Valley and beyond by donating at giving.ucmerced.edu. Find out more about our mission, events, and podcasts at www.radiobio.net.